Uh, we've got Nick with me, and we've got Chris online. Say what's up, Chris. Hey, Mike. Stay with us. How's it going? Long time. No speak. It's been too long. So yeah. I'm really looking forward to uh, to getting back into this. Yeah, totally. And uh, say hi to Nick. Hey, dude. Hey, how's Nick. it going? Good. It's Excellent. good to talk to you again. No, I feel very uh, humbled to be on a Glory Cloud ho- co-host. <laughs> um, so what's what's crazy is we just need one more guy. And then we've got all of the... Two-Edge Sojourners together. Mm-hmm. So I tried to set that up with my brother, and um, it didn't work because it's his 4 a.m. in the morning prior to preaching. So he, he drew the line. I think it's, <laughs> it's kind of lame. I think he could have gotten up for it. Yeah. He could have gotten up, had a cup of coffee, done a podcast, been nice and refreshed. Deny yourself, Andre. Come on. Come on, Andre. What's, what's going on there? You know, we're all together. We're all doing this thing. You could have been part of this. I had to fly to Wellington to do this. He had to fly to <laughs> Wellington to do this. And all you had to do was wake up and have a cup of coffee and then get warmed up to preach a sermon. I mean, we would have, we would have been exhilarating company at four in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, so Chris, do you even remember where we, um, where we uh, left off in this book? So my recollection is that we finished chapter five talking about the Abrahamic covenant. Yes. And I think we got midway into chapter six. I think we just covered some of those um, reasons for the Mosaic covenant being typological. It was, or was I dreaming Did that? We? I think so. I, I remember us going through those five points. Are I you? honestly don't remember. <laughs> well, we can do it again. Well, you know what might actually be uh, pretty cool? And let me just say this before I keep going. Um well, we've had a bit of a tech disaster. I mean, to try and get three people working on the same computer, I know that's easy for a lot of people, but for me, it is chaotically difficult, and I haven't been able to get it exactly right, so I'm huddled up close to Nick. It's hardly professional. It's uh, it's better, It's just like trailblazing stuff going on over here. But um, hopefully, uh, as the listener, you'll be able to hear what's going on. It might not be the best recording quality, but it's a starting point. So thanks for yeah. bearing with us, and uh, hopefully it'll be worth it just having all three of us. But um, Nick uh, ha- had a question, because I-, I actually said to him, we were halfway through the chapter, and he was like, oh, I wanted to talk about the typological covenant of works thing. Um, and so maybe it'd be a good idea, Chris, I don't know if you're keen, to just stop and pause and kind of mishmash on those five points. Uh, so for anyone who's who's uh, listening to this, we're working through Chris's book, um, a Tale of Two Adams, and we're on page around about 139, 140, uh, potentially page 146. But just uh, thinking about those five points, uh, the Mosaic Covenant as a typological covenant of works, Chris lays out uh, why that is. Um, if uh, uh, what, what, One thing that we could do here is um, we could just talk a little bit around that concept and touch on those points as you see them there, Chris, if, if, they, if they come to bear. And, uh, and then just move forward from that point. Does that sound okay? Sounds great. Okay, cool. So, um, yeah, handing over to Nick. Right. So my question was uh, around the area of semantics. So some people are comfortable with talking about a hypothetical covenant of works. 
And I was curious to your thoughts. I see you use the terminology of a typological covenant of works. What would be the good things that we could mean by hypothetical and what would be some of the dangers we'd want to avoid there? That's a good question. Um, well, I thought it was I, quite I, a poor question. I thought it was average. It wasn't that great. <laughs> That's just Chris being gracious uh, to you, by the way. Yeah. Whatever. Thanks, Chris. I don't run into that very often, though. What What do people mean when they talk about it as a hypothetical covenant of works? Yeah. So I guess what I'm looking for is, is it one of those buzzwords we shouldn't use? Has it become disqualified because of its associations? Um, it was the way I originally started talking about it. And so I'm wondering if I'm stepping on some landmine every time I use it. So mm. what I'm thinking is just when you say that, you've got like, so there have been some people that have talked about, uh, you know, uh, I wouldn't say anyone Kleinian or Reformed or anyone has, says, has said this, but there have been some, maybe within the Baptist camp, I don't know, uh, that have said, maybe the dispensational guys actually, who have said you, there's pretty much a way to salvation. It's a real covenant of works. And that that was their kind of dispensational way to get to to glory, I suppose. And uh, I think to, from whenever I hear hypothetical covenant of works, I hear people trying to guard against against that uh, that being a possibility. Yeah. They're saying, no, it's, it's just a republished typological, essentially, mm -hmm. uh, a covenant, and it's, it's, it's not a real covenant of works. So it's probably just not relevant for anyone who, who isn't dispensational, is my thought. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So uh, on the same note then, what about republication? Yeah. Can we use that word? Well, yes, and we must. <laughs> well, it's interesting that Klein himself never used that. That seems to have been a term that has cropped up since the Westminster faculty wrote mm. the law is not of faith. Interesting. Um, I, I think it describes what Klein is talking about. Mm. I mean, Klein is saying that God made a covenant of works with Adam and that we're seeing that played out again with Israel, but not for the ultimate goal of heaven but for the, the goal of remaining in the land of Canaan. What, what word did Klein use to, if he didn't use republish? Did, it, did he say like it was echoed or I don't know, was there another? It probably had a three-barrel three hyphenated. <laughs> <laughs> it was a new word, no doubt. Uh, right, exactly. Yeah. Any, anything come to mind? Um, the glory no, I'll have to think about it. Republished. <laughs> right. Oh man. Um, so yeah. So Klein himself never used that word. Not to my, not to my knowledge. Interesting. Well. Um, okay. Cool. Was so. Is that a confessional term, or what does the confession itself say? The the law was something. Let's talk about something. Yeah. The the confession itself really seems to treat the Mosaic covenant as part of the covenant of grace. Yeah. Because. Um. The, the interest really seems to be on um, the continuity of the um, program of salvation, which I get. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Okay. Well, um, so does that kind of uh, cover your question there, Nick, or do you want to probe a bit more? I think it covers it. Yeah. Say that again. In the I think it covers it. Sorry, a little bit of amateur hour going on here. Um, all right, cool. So with that in mind, I mean, uh, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about in terms of that chapter, or was that kind of the thing you were hoping to hit? Maybe a secondary question. Um, was there common grace in Israel? 
Yeah. So that's part of what I'm trying to illustrate in one of the diagrams toward the end of the chapter. I don't have the uh, page number right in front of me, but no, I would say that um, common grace is suspended within the borders of Israel. I would say common grace continued um, everywhere else in the world, but um, there so, was... Um, in the book of Job, is Job within the borders of Israel? Um does Job fall under common grace, or is is he in a mosaic type of covenant? Um, I honestly don't know. Um, I'm depend on, it. Uh, probably depends on your dating of the book. Yeah, I exactly. It's kind of pre-patriarchal, or I've always thought of Job as somewhere around the time of the patriarchs. Yeah, yeah. So that would be. So Job would be a model for New Covenant Christians who are under common grace and not right. normative for Israel. And especially because suffering proves Job's righteousness, really. Mm. And suffering would not have proven an Israelite's righteousness. It would have proven their guilt. Yeah, right. There we go. Especially uh, with Job's buddies and all that. That's a great point. Didn't Klein do a whole big... Um uh, exposition on Job? I haven't touched that, but I believe it's out there. Yes, in one of the Bible commentaries uh, that covers the entire Bible in one book. I can't recall okay. the name right off the top of my head, but he did the chapter on Job. Huh. Uh, just another question along those lines, and it has to do with the suffering, persecuted person in the Psalms. So if the righteous person is blessed under the Mosaic Covenant and the evil person is punished, where do we put the innocent sufferer in the Psalms as it points forward to the Messiah? Mm. Do we need a different rubric there, or does does the rubric accommodate that? This guy's um, trouble, Chris. This guy's trouble. <laughs> no, he's got really good questions. Um, <laughs> I don't think so. I think he's got terrible questions. <laughs> I think just for for the record, I think Chris is extremely gracious. <laughs> I know Can you give me grace, a Mark. concrete example of what you're talking about, Nick? Yeah, some concrete examples. Nick. Uh, I mean, I'm just thinking in general. Um, I haven't preached you the Psalms in a while, uh, where the psalmist is pleading his innocence, and um, yet he's suffering at the hands of evil men, uh, which seems to go against the whole notion of the righteous will prosper. And on the basis of how long, O Lord, until you fulfill the promises of the righteous one prospering? Um, Wouldn't it be that, that uh, some of those psalms are not, I mean, I don't know the dating of the psalms offhand, but I mean, like, you know, you'd have, you'd have quite a spectrum there. Would it all be within theocratic Israel that those psalms were written? Uh, Post-exile with Asaph? Well, there's, there's post-exilic ones. So that's not in the land of Babylon. Yeah. And there's pre-exilic ones, David. So as soon as you got post-exilic, I mean, or I suppose, yeah. I mean, you know, this, as soon as you're into that sort of uh, exile phase, you're in the clear with all that stuff, right? Well, I mean, I think when they're actually in exile in a foreign yeah. land, then the situation changes. I mean, that's when, yeah. you know, Klein says you look at, what uh, Jeremiah says, is it uh, chapter 29, hmm. when he's telling Israel to look out for the good of the city where they live, and 
that just would not have been a category yeah, had they yeah. still been living within the geopolitical land of Canaan. Um, so I suppose the first question would be, is the psalm written during that stage? Uh, if it, you know, that would reflect quite different ideas and a different framework of understanding. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, it is an interesting question if, if, it, <laughs> if it wasn't written over that exile period. Um, yeah, a lot of complexity. I know John Frame would like that question. <laughs> Ooh, he'd be all over that like a bad rash. <laughs> I, you know, I, I do think it sounds very much like the Messiah when the psalmist writes that way. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's where the exception is allowed to the rubric because it's it is messianic. Yeah, and yet, uh, you know. It, Jesus's resurrection is ultimately his vindication. It's God saying, hmm. my servant has been righteous all along, um, but he suffered because he was doing it on your behalf, not on his own behalf. <laughs> yeah. I guess um, uh, what I'm looking for is some nuance because I've always had a couple of bold statements. You know, there's no grace in the covenant of works. That's a very mm -hmm. clear, bold statement. No nuance needed. Mm -hmm. And then no common grace in Israel but what about the psalmist when he's suffering and he's also righteous? So there seems to be a need for a nuance, just at least with regards to the innocent sufferer. Mm. So it's not quite a, a perfect picture of new creation. It's not total freedom from mm. suffering. There's still a fallen aspect, maybe a progressive aspect to accommodate that. Yeah. I mean, this is uh, Chris just thinking off the cuff here, but um I mean, I'm thinking also just it sort of relates to the question of um, or just the, the not the question of but the issue of there being like, why did, um, you know, when Israel didn't do when, when they sinned, essentially, corporately, you know, as a as a nation, you know, you've got that intertwining of the undergirding Abrahamic covenant. They don't get swiped completely off the face of the earth. They don't get all the curses just thrown at them immediately. So there is a bit of a messiness, right, which is sort of, I suppose, assumed in a typology. Uh, maybe some of that applies in, in what we're saying here and that, you know, there is, it's, you know, at the end of the day, the clear rubric is typological. There it is. Uh, you know, it, one of these two, what, you know, there'd be some instances where they're in a bit of a weird zone. Israel has sinned. They should actually be just be thrown straight into exile, but they're not. Uh, you have an individual who's, you know, perhaps suffering when he shouldn't be. It's just kind of, the, you know, a lot of, lot of in-between zones. That shouldn't really affect the, the greater principle and typology of the situation is what I'm thinking. Mm. Uh, ultimately, the rubric stands. I don't know. That's, I suppose, how I would justify all that sort of thing. So Nick's giving me the and I think I've, I think uh, I, I, I meet I meet his approval, which is something. Uh, Chris's approval is still shrouded in mystery. We'll see. Let's see. No, I um, I appreciate that point, and um, that means he thinks it sucks. Oh <laughs> it's a nice, Chris is a nice guy. When, when he disses you, you know, it's like you feel good about it. <laughs> um. There's so I mean, yeah, there's sin within Israel because, like Nick said, this is not um, the realized eschaton. Mm -hmm. um, this is a, a miniature picture of it with sinful people, um, and so David has enemies. Yeah, and I, that's important because the Messiah had enemies from within God's own people. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that typology is important. Yeah. Um, but I also want to say, I mean, Nick's points are true. And I would definitely want to say that there's no grace in the covenant of works uh, at creation. Mm. Um, the Mosaic covenant is a, is a complex thing. And yeah. I don't, you know, as I reread the chapter in preparation for our discussion right now, mm. I don't think I did justice to that complexity. Okay. Um, because you do have grace running through the, mm -hmm. what Klein calls the lower level, not the upper typological level, uh, but yeah. the lower level in the priestly system and the sacrificial system. Mm -hmm. I mean, if an Israelite did sin, they could make atonement for that in the way that God had prescribed. So it wasn't just mm. you sinned, you're out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is, it's, it's an, there is an intrinsic complexity or messiness. Are we saying we should keep the picture fuzzy? Sorry, I'm, I'm not saying I'm that. Gonna, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop with that. Uh, um, all right. So, um, I, I mean, I think that's helpful. And, uh, hey, if we bring out A Tale of Two Adams 2.0, <laughs> hey, you know, you heard it to your folks uh, first, folks. <laughs> we're, we're doing the good thing. Uh, but, yeah, no, that sounds really good. So it just reminds me also of, you know, Klein himself had a bit of ebb and flow on this whole covenant of grace, uh, exactly where the mosaic... Uh, uh, fitted in his earlier work and his later work, right? Uh, you know, he would. So, am I right in saying that his earlier stuff would sort of see a um, covenant of grace with more of a uh, with a subservient mosaic typology, and um, and then later on, almost wants to just get away from seeing the mosaic subservient typology as in any way part of the covenant of grace. Is that about right in terms of his flow of thought or have I oversimplified that or got it wrong? I think that's basically correct. Yeah. yeah. So he moved more and more in that direction. Um, mm -hmm. So even in that, I mean, you know, even if you read through Klein, you're going to get a lot of like, well, that's difficult. It's a difficult area. And um, obviously he developed some thinking in that regard. So, you know, it's fair enough to to want to just uh, go over things and, and relay their complexity at a um, at a deeper level. So I, I think also, like, probably what we want to state, the Kleinian system is so awesome. And so, like, it helps you understand so much. I think probably one of the dangers is that you turn it into something that must solve every single problem. Yeah, it just becomes too too much for it to bear. And, you know, it's almost like not even what Klein had in mind at some level in that, you know, it's not. It's just, there it is. It's your basic understanding, but there's more work to be done in some sense. Um, does right. that sound fair? Yeah. I um, I don't think Klein himself would have pretended to have all of the mm. the problems worked out. Totally. Well, cool. I mean, with that in mind, um, let's, let's just at least make a little bit of uh, headway from... Is there anything you wanted to say there from page 130 or what was it, 140 on to 146, Chris, that little section? Just assuming for a second we have actually covered those five points. Assuming we've covered them, no. I think um, they're strong points and they... Yeah. I mean, what I've said there, I think, speaks for itself. I think uh, we might have to do a rerun on this, but I'm pretty sure uh, we ended off halfway. And I remember talking through like Hosea 6, 7. And, okay, yeah, Nick's saying he, he listened to that, so that's good. Okay. Um, all right, sweet. So that's, <laughs> let's assume we've, we've uh, got that covered. And now moving on to what about grace during the time of the Mosaic Covenant, which, again, is very much what we've been talking about. Um, 
Cool. Any uh, thoughts on that, Chris, as we kick that off? So this is part of what I'm talking about. In yeah. this section, I tend to treat grace during the time of the Mosaic Covenant as being part of the Abrahamic Covenant. And so yeah. even in the the illustration that I have, it's the Abrahamic Covenant that's running through right. on the bottom level, and then there's the Mosaic Covenant as a sort of a box on top of that. Yeah. Um, that's true as far as it goes, but I want to... I definitely want to say that um, the sacrifices that the priests would make for Israel corporately and individually were gracious. And what are you saying that you're wanting to see them as in some way part of the Mosaic covenant or not? Yes. And, okay. yeah. you know, what, what helped me think this through was um, I was writing a uh, an exegetical paper on Galatians 3, and Steve Baugh from uh, Westminster, this was while I was, uh, I think, in my final year there, mm-hmm. pointed out to me that when Paul uses the term law in chapter 3, he's really sifting out the actual commandments in the Mosaic Covenant from mm. things like the the priestly system and the sacrificial system. Mm-hmm. Um so that when we say the Mosaic Covenant, mm-hmm. that includes the law and the sacrificial system. Right. And we need to be careful about yeah. nuancing that. Okay, good. That's helpful. So um, did, am I right in thinking then that you're probably sort of, if early Klein is a little bit too much on the one side and you know later Klein is going, it sounds like later Klein is going further than, than you're prepared to go here. Is that right? No, no. I, okay. I just, you know, he would even emphasize in class that, um, it's when Paul um, steps back and takes a look at the Mosaic Covenant, the feature that stands out to him is this typological works principle. Okay, good. Right, so at, at the end, though, just to be clear on this for myself, I mean, so Klein, because this was always the genius for me, that Klein found a way to deal with the Pauline antithesis law and grace issue uh, in a mm-hmm. redemptive historical overview. So he would just think about, uh, you know, he would think about Moses and the Mosaic Covenant as part of the Covenant of Grace. So there was one sense in which you could legitimately say that was true, as long as you understood it as a subservient element. Um, mm-hmm. You happy with that still? Was Klein happy with that at the end? or? Yes. Okay, sweet. Yeah, so that, that level of genius still stands. Amen. <laughs> uh, now, I had a question on this. Um, in terms of just that just that diagram that you got there on page uh, 149, um, you know, the little line for anyone listening into this who doesn't have the book in front of them, just a straight line with a kind of uh, just two arrows or one arrow going Abrahamic covenant. And then uh, we've got a little box on top of that Abrahamic covenant uh, representing uh, the Mosaic covenant. And what Chris has just said is those two are probably not so tidally divided uh, but you know, I'll probably intertwined or some, there's some messiness there or some. So I want what I want to say is that the line above the Abrahamic covenant arrow, yeah. um, is part of the Mosaic covenant. And so okay, brilliant. Yeah. there's yeah. grace at that lower level there. Yes. Okay. And there's an over that grace is the sacrificial system. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, in terms of the Davidic covenant, um, how does that fit in? Is that is because that's you know again you have a very organic sort of relationship with the Mosaic Covenant, right? How what do right. we because you've sort of ended the box so to speak uh, at the Mosaic Covenant 
uh, are there some that, I mean, what, what would you think, where do you think that has ended? I mean, is the Davidic covenant back to a covenant of grace? How does that work? Yeah. So that's an embarrassing omission okay. on my part in the tale of two Adams. Um, I should have treated it somewhat, but I would certainly see it as um, 100% related to the covenant of grace in that God is okay. promising that a descendant of David is going to be the one who ends up um, doing all of this saving work. You know, someone from yeah. David's line. Um, yeah, yeah. So... Okay, so um, in terms of, is it disconnected from the Mosaic Covenant? What, would that, how does that work? Well, because the king obviously kind of it, is bringing the Mosaic Lord of Bear, you know, seems very intertwined still at that point. Exactly. If you if you to put you know amend that diagram to to include the Davidic Covenant, would you have another little box? Or would that just be along the arrow next to the Abrahamic covenant? Um, how would you how would you bring the Davidic in there in terms of a diagram? It's <laughs> a good question because um, even though Klein talks about that covenant in Kingdom Prologue, mm -hmm. he never included it in the diagram, the drawing that he would yeah. put up on the chalkboard. So I don't know how I would uh, do that. But the reason I said what I said is that it's it's pure promise on yeah. God's part to, to David. Right. Right. There's so nothing David has to do. So it would be a really, if, if to take a little bit of genius to get a good diagram going, but as long as we understand that really all the parts of the law that was, was relevant when David was King is properly in that box of the Mosaic covenant and, uh, all the parts involving, uh, the promises to David really are the extension of the covenant of grace. Strictly speaking, right. right? So, however that looks, diagramming it. Um, <laughs> good. Sorry, Nick was going to say something. Okay, no, you're good. Oh. Nick's crashing. He preached today. And, oh, uh, at GraceNet? He, he did, at GraceNet. Oh, um, very good. Yeah, so it was awesome. We just, uh, man, we wish we could fly you down, Chris. It'd be so good. We're hanging out oh, in this I love room. It. Wouldn't have to do the stupid tech thing. <laughs> just have one microphone old school you know um, <laughs> but um yeah so he's uh he got like three hours of sleep and he's crashing <laughs> oh no uh, wake up nick wake up mm. we're not finished yet <laughs> um all right so um moving on from that point though uh you say after listing god's covenantal expectations of israel um and i am on page 151 um the prophets turn to israel's history um, recorded in Joshua through Esther as evidence of the specific ways in which Israel had violated the, the Mosaic Covenant. And I suppose that's helpful in just shooting us forward to really see the principle in action with the prophets, right? As um, I think, I don't know if it was Klein, but I know Horton talks about them as the, as the covenant uh, prosecutors. Uh, and um, I just find that very helpful in just seeing how the principle then bears out as you lead into the new covenant. Yes. Uh, so Horton got that right from Klein. Did he really? Uh, <laughs> did he at least give a footnote? My <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness, these guys, these Kleinians. Wow. Uh, yeah. um, but I just, one, that's one of the many things that I found so helpful about uh, Klein in terms of making sense out of the Bible mm. is that the prophets were God's covenant attorneys. Totally. Um, yeah. 
I love the way that it preaches, you know, just from a pastoral yes. preaching perspective, because now all of a sudden, and I remember going through, in fact, I'm going to do it again, but we, we, we went through a, a Bible overview and you got like, what, how many minor prophets just, you know, one by one, I'm 12. doing a, doing a 12 week series on the minor prophets and just hitting one minor prophet a Sunday. And I remember thinking, this is so amazing. This is preaching the gospel for me, you know, every single mm-hmm. time. It's like a 12 week, here's how to preach the gospel series, because it's just really taking, uh, it's it's showing, well, here's the giant object lesson. Here's how they failed. This is uh, directly applicable to everyone in this room because of Adam and its connection to to Israel and or at least that covenant of works connection. Uh, this is why we need Christ. So, you know, they're pointing forward. We're literally pointing back, but it's the same message. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I had, I had, yeah, I mean, to not see that and work through the, the, the prophets would just be, I mean, what are you even doing at that point? It would be difficult. Right. Yeah. I don't, I wouldn't know how to make sense of it otherwise. You'd have to go into locusts and helicopters in the Middle East. <laughs> so don't want any of that, people. Stay away. All right. So here's the big question. Here's the million dollar question on page 152. But what is so wrong with seeing the entire Mosaic Covenant as part of the covenant of grace? Mm. And this is, uh, and we're saying now not in the Kleinian sense, uh, but as a kind of without any republication, without any typology, just pure grace, right? right? That's what you mean there. So tell us, what's so wrong, Chris? So I have never been a pastor, but my concern, it, I would put under the category of a pastoral concern. Uh, if we see the Mosaic Covenant as purely part of the covenant of grace, end of story, that's all we need to say. Uh, my concern is that we would take these conditions from the Mosaic Covenant and just mm. import them into our New Covenant situation. Mm, mm. Um, you know, and be saying things like, well, if you disobey God, um, mm. you know, who knows? Maybe our um, geographical neighbors are going to come in and uh, conquer us militarily because we disobeyed God or, mm, you know, just mm, all kinds of other applications yeah. that would destroy people's assurance. Mm. I mean, you say uh, when one of the big concerns you have there is essentially um, now that we've answered these concerns, the two main reasons why uh, there is a threat to the gospel of justification by faith alone. If we say that the Mosaic covenant was a covenant of grace first, uh, if the Mosaic covenant were part of the covenant of grace, then what it said to Israel, it would say to us. Um, so that's kind of what we're dealing with the second guys. Um, so when Moses offered rewards for good works and threatened curses for disobedience, we'd be tempted to understand uh, Moses is offering and threatening the same things to us, just a summary of what we were saying. Um, and, and then you get on to like the next thing, which is basically like Jesus, if he, if, you know, Jesus would have lived under a covenant of grace if the Mosaic um, law was a covenant of grace. I thought this was a super interesting point. What do you mean by that? So, uh, if Jesus was under a covenant of grace, we have two unattractive options. Yeah. Um, the first one is really heresy, and yeah. that would be that Jesus, Jesus was a sinner who right. needed God's grace. Uh-huh. So, because that's heresy, let's just rule that one off the table. Yeah. But um, the other thing is that because grace is... Um, not deserved. And obviously with Klein's definition, we're going beyond that and saying that it's not just undeserved, it's demerited. But um, Jesus could have come and done everything that God the Father had asked of him 
but because it's based on this principle that is unable to be earned, mm -hmm. the father could have said, well, I'm just not going to give you the reward because after all, this is based on grace. Mm -hmm. And then we would all be losers because Jesus wouldn't have secured it for us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a, uh, that's a great point right there. And it sort of fits into, it's almost the inverse of what we were saying in previous chapters in that this is why um, Jesus being born into a covenant of works is relevant for Gentiles, not just Jews. Uh, again, all that repeated, except um, just seeing the problem that you arrive, uh, that you arrive in if you, if you don't have that theology clear at this point. But uh, not to derail it now, you come to the conclusion, we got another diagram, the submarine had a baby, uh, it's, <laughs> and the baby had another baby, and the baby had an arrow, and it's just there's a whole lot of stuff going on there. But what do we want to say here in conclusion, Chris? So uh, we're just summing up saying that the covenant that God made with Israel at Sinai, where he gave them the law, that that was a covenant of works similar to the covenant that God made with Adam mm -hmm. in that their obedience would cause the covenant blessings and their disobedience would cause the covenant curses, mm -hmm. but very different from the covenant that God made with Adam in that Israel was not working to earn heaven. They were working to earn the right to stay in the land flowing with milk and honey. Yeah, totally. Um, Great. And then we have, um, in the next diagram, the eschatological intrusion mm -hmm. um, of, the, of final judgment in Israel. And so that also means a, a suspension of common grace in Israel itself. Um, yeah, so what we're within the about. borders of Israel, it's a theocracy. Yeah. And outside the borders of Israel, it's not. Yeah. And that's a, such an important concept right there. And even as we were talking about the exile and, the, you know, the return, uh, you see that that dynamic uh, in play. They go into Babylon. It's common graces all over the place again. And uh, they're working within uh, the patriarchal kind of paradigm. Um, and then they come back out of that exile back into the land. And, you know, um, Eli who is it Ezra's uh, freaking out because they're, you know, hanging out with the, the pagans <laughs> and they should be putting them away. And you just, it right. seems all, all over the place until you get this thing down. And, and I think this graph is super helpful in showing that, um, how it's all connected. So was that, did you say that was, that was the one that Klein himself would draw on the board all the time? Yes. In the whirlwind of smoke and chalk. Good. <laughs> right. Um, okay, cool. So that's a that's a good summary. That brings us to the end of um, chapter, what was that? Chapter 6, and that was on the Mosaic Covenant. And then we finally get to the New Covenant. Looking forward Ooh, to that. That's the good one right there. <laughs> um, okay, cool. So we'll leave that for next time. Uh, but hopefully uh, you weren't too lost on that, and you can go back and listen to some previous episodes, and hopefully we're kind of continuing from where we left off. Uh, Nick's fast asleep. Let me wake him up. Hang on. Nick, say good night. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> See, this guys just want to let you know this is what it looks like after you preach a sermon. It's not easy, you know. It's not easy, but it's nice to be close to another brother. <laughs> so at least you don't have to go through this trauma alone, Nick. <laughs> you know, there we go. We got Chris and everything. So hey, um, Chris, thanks so much, man. Thanks for putting up with our tech issues. Thanks for uh, getting back on board with this. Oh, my pleasure. It's always good talking about this stuff. Awesome. Well, uh, stay with us for this week's Sojourner uh, 
pod fodder. <laughs> Is what, what I wanted to say. Um, pod food. We need to come up with a cool name. Uh, that would be another cool T-shirt, though. Pod fighter. Yes. We're we're uh, brainstorming right now, Chris. We need it. We're coming up on one year, and uh, we need some cool T-shirts. Okay. I know you know how to make that happen. I've seen your yes. Kleinian gear. It's all <laughs> like one of the T-shirts. We just have to steal from from Glory Cloud. That was okay. uh, 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 What was it? Theonomy jumps the eschatological gun and then a big, yes. big picture of Klein. Beautiful. Totally. All right. Well, anyways, uh, before this turns into complete slop and folly, uh, let me say goodbye. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. Thanks again, Mike. Mm-hmm.